Welcome to the RPG Design Panelcast, presenting the very best recorded panels and seminars pertaining to game design and publishing. This panel has been made possible thanks to the kind contributions of the panel speakers and Metatopia 2019. Episode 243. Welcome to the RPG Design Panelcast on Responsible Research, featuring Jason Pitt, Misha Bushyager, and Mendes. Bushyager, I apologize. I'm, I'm just, I'm a, in a Jagger. Yeah. Like, I mean, piloting one? Exactly. So, uh, this is a panel all about responsible research, uh, which mostly consists of, hey, we don't want irresponsible research, because that's so easy, so tempting, and so dangerous, and ethically questionable. Ethically questionable. So, so, um, what is, what are the biggest issues that require attention in terms of ethical um, and responsible research? Are we talking like just the big isms? Yeah, let, let's start with the big isms and then go from there. So, okay, so when I, when I sit down and I, I, I do a lot of uh, sensitivity reading, and so when I sit down to, to read through somebody's RPG, it's like, all right, let's check for a few things. We're going to check for, okay, are we using tropes that are, I don't know, a little racist, a little sexist, a little anti-Semitic, a little, you know, it's like, hey, now, sometimes those are intentional, and as long as everybody understands that, yes, this was an intentional choice I made, because I'm highlighting this thing or I'm not highlighting this thing, we're all good. But if it was not an intentional choice, I like to put it out, I was like, did you mean to do this? Oh, no? Okay, well, how about we use this word instead? Or this trope instead? Or let's change this a little instead. Like, as a... Wow. Well, as an example, um, if a random white dude said, hey, I'm going to put a value on people, <laughs> um, it would be a far different situation than if uh, Julia Ellingbo does it for Steal Away Jordan. One of these is a far more considered and intentional choice than the other. Or if, let's say, a cis guy were to make a, sh- a game about drag queens having fights, having never been part of the drag community, just be a little odd. Odd choice. Strange. Um, I'd, I'd say, say that uh, it's always one of the, uh, the ideal distance for my face for this time. That, that's about good. That's good. good. All right, great. Um, so, so I think that uh, looking back at my own history of research, one of the uh, the biggest sources of uh, bad research for me has been um, uh, short deadlines and underpayment. Um, if I if it's not worth it to me to do research, I'm not going to do it. If I'm getting paid like five cents a word for a project and I have to do it really, really quickly, um, 
and the developer that I'm working with isn't going to notice or care um, whether I do good responsible research or not, uh, I'm going to get away with it. And uh, when I'm working under time pressure and I'm not making enough money and I don't have health care and I'm doing this to just barely merely make it by, um, I don't have um, a personal incentive to do that extra work. And the only people on the internet who are going to notice are like this tiny slice of our community who thinks like the five people in this room do, right? Which is, it feels like it's a lot when we're here, but when we go to Gen Con and when we go to Origins, uh, we're reminded that we're not super numerous. Um, so I need an incentive. Um, and there have been some companies that I've worked with who have um, gone out of their way to provide me research books um, or to link me up with cultural consultants or experts who can help me about things. And then there are other companies which have just kind of thrown me to the walls and been like, you're a good writer, you can handle this. And sometimes I can, and sometimes I can't. Um, so yeah, that's that's for me the, the biggest problem. If people aren't getting, if people don't feel like they're getting paid enough that they can and should put in that extra time to do the research, um, people aren't gonna do it because they literally can't afford to do it. And one another thing I see that happens a, a decent amount is uh, you'll somebody will hire a person of color to work on a project, but the expertise like you don't necessarily hire uh, a black person from Chicago to work on your South America project. We're not interchangeable. It just doesn't work that way. I mean, that's not going to be my focus of expertise. It might be. But odds are not necessarily that it matches up. Just like, you know, you wouldn't necessarily hire somebody from Mexico and then ask them to do the, the bit on China. You're not going to hire somebody from Japan to do the bit on Africa. It's like, pick somebody. If you're going to be selectively targeting uh, uh, people of color to work on it, let them bring their experiences and their culture to what they're doing. Don't just have them there as window dressing. So, what are the biggest risks of not doing responsible research? You get really, really like ripped apart on Twitter and Facebook. I, uh, so yes, getting ripped apart on Twitter and Facebook. But I mean, controversy sells, right? Sometimes. I mean, if I'm talking about crying royalty of elemental forces, I mean, like. Controversy sells, right? That that's fine. Sure. Uh, yeah. Some, sometimes. Um, Depends on who it's from, I think. Yeah. Uh, so, risks of doing irresponsible research. I think one of the one of the biggest problems is that if you do actually hit it big, if what you do does like make an impact, um, you may end up like uh, something that you seed in your work. If it actually does blow up. Um, can end up becoming like a culture-wide misconception. Uh, my favorite example of this uh, is the Rakshasa from D&D. Yeah. So a long time ago. For those of us who don't know what the hell you're talking about. So a long time ago, like before I was born, there was a television show that I've only ever heard about called Kolchak the Night Stalker. That was like based on like a like a pulp book series or something like that. Anyway, so it's like. You know, as a white detective solving urban fantasy mysteries of some kind. And there was an episode 
where there is an Indian demon preying on a Jewish community, and the Indian demon is identified as a Rakshasa. It's like a dude with a tiger mask. This became the Rakshasa in Dungeons and Dragons, because I guess Gary Gygax or somebody like that show, or like Dave Arneson, some one of those guys. Um, so they put a D and D is really weird about like picking random monster names and attaching them to random monster uh, designs. Um, like uh, what a Tarrasque is in D and D is very far from like this dragon that's from the south of France. Um, but yeah, this Rakshasa D and D and it's a sorcerer and they have some like shape changey illusion powers and stuff like real Rakshasas from Indian mythology do. But it also has a tiger face for no particular reason other than like vaguely racist associations with between tigers and Indian people, I guess. Um, but now everybody in gaming, if you're like, hey, so Rakshasa, they're like, oh yeah, the tiger monster. And you're like, no, this is a thing which has a multi-thousand year history in, in uh, South Asian mythology which is actually like deeply important to some people, and there's religious figures who are Rakshasas who are deeply important to people, um, as well as just being like culturally important, even if you aren't religious bad. So if you happen to have that impact, these, these little misconceptions that you put in there can get really, really big, and then they, they cause uh, inconveniences, to say the least, for people from that culture who are trying to advocate for themselves and talk about like their own truth. Uh, on that note, uh, I believe that you have a giant robot-related metaphor. Could you please explain uh, that metaphor for folks? Yeah, sure. Okay, so um, suppose you're trying to build a giant robot, like a Jaeger anime robot, and you don't want that robot to be I don't know, racist. How would you build a robot that's not very racist? So, uh, I, I promise it ends up making sense. No, so, uh, the robot has three sets of parts. There's the legs, there's the arms and the body, and then there's the head. Um, so, um, to build the legs of the robot, you need good intentions. Nobody cares about your good intentions. Good intentions don't matter, and if you do something that's harmful, and you say, well, my intentions were good, no one cares. Well, I don't know, your mom might care. Um, so, same as if you just have these two robot legs sitting, you know, vast and trackless like Ozymandias' legs out somewhere, they're just going to fall over um, and probably hurt somebody. And yet, if you have to build a whole robot, you still need good intentions, like you still need the legs to build the rest of it on. So it's the legs. Forming the arms and body of the robot. Uh, so, this is the level uh, at which you're building something that internally is not racist, sexist, anti-gay, etc., etc. Um, so this is the level where if someone consumes your work in its entirety and understands it as you intended it, as you expressed it, they will understand that you are not any of those hists, or are not any more of those hists than most people are, and you did not intend to create offensive things. The problem with this level, especially when we're talking about game design, is that if you build something that is internally uh, not harmful, other people can still take your work and twist it and misuse it to do harmful things to other people. Um, 
And that's the level at which we think about forming the head. So to form the head of the robot, you have to create something which not only is in and of itself not harmful, but which also is impossible for others to twist and misuse in a harmful way. This is nigh on impossible. Especially in the realm of game design, when we're doing anything participatory, um, other people have a big part in interpreting and expressing your work because maybe you're making a game and then they're going to play that game, GM it, run it for their friends, that kind of thing, and they're going to bring themselves to it. And that can be good, but it also means that there is great leeway for them to mess with it. However, as game designers, we also have um, unmatched control over that level in a way that, for example, uh, a fandom which has a cosplay community might not. Um, you, you, know, you finish writing your novel, you finish making your TV series, and maybe there's, there's nothing, none of your tools have reached directly into the behavior of the people who are going to consume it. As game designers, though, we can put things in our games which modify people's behavior, affect the way they think. Um, so we both have the greatest risk on that third form the head level and the greatest power, ultimately, uh, to do it. So that's the, that's the giant robot of this. Fantastic. So now that we know what the big issues are uh, that we're trying to face and why it's important to not screw this up too badly. You're going to make mistakes, period. Just but accept that you're going to make mistakes. Minimize the mistakes to the best of your ability. And when people point them out to you, graciously thank them and try to do better going forward. So, now let's get down to the nitty gritty and the practical ways to actually do this. So, I'm currently trying my hardest not to be a cautionary example. I have a project that is taking me years to do because I need to do it correctly because um, it's fraught with difficulty. Uh, this is a game about wizards uh, who are all coming from marginalized communities and are effectively having to deal with the choice of are, how are you going to use your power? Uh, um, and are you going to protect an oppressive society against fascist demons? And it's dealing with messy, complex issues of intersectionality where uh, this uh, ethnic community and this queer community uh, are individually having certain things, but the queer people of color are facing uh, different challenges coming from the intersection of these two conflicting subcultures. Doing this correctly is very difficult, and the easiest thing in the world would have been for me to publish this in the final version two years ago. Because then it would be done. And honestly, it would have given me money. And I wouldn't have been able to sleep at night. Uh, because I would have actively caused a significant amount of harm. So, one of the reasons why I'm on this panel is to talk around the best practices 
for taking messy and difficult game projects like that and dealing with them in a responsible and ethical manner. Um, because, I mean, you can't just, oh, I'll take 20 years to do this. That's not a feasible approach. But you can't rush through, say, well, I looked on Wikipedia for an hour, and I, I know everything about all marginalized people, right? Right? So, advice from the experts. So, my, I, I would say start by bringing people from the communities you're trying to represent in to work with you from the beginning, not at the end, tacked on as a stretch goal. Second best would be at least getting people, somebody from those communities to come in and do a sensitivity read and say, hey, this is what you did, this is what you didn't do, maybe do this differently. Get other eyeballs from those communities that they can point out and say, hey, this thing here, this is harmful, we don't like this, can you, can you do something different? Uh, and then uh, I guess the, my least recommended approach would be make sure you read works from the, the people who are in those communities that you're, you're dealing with uh, and, and try to internalize the, their words uh, into your, but that's, that's like both the easiest and, but also the least satisfying, I think. That's the minimum. Yeah. 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 Um, it's a, a lot of people in, uh, especially in our circles, are working by themselves on tiny little games, and they're they're everyone on the project. Um, this is fine. Like we, this is a, a known problem, and it means that you're you're you have a lot of limitations. Um, I think that a lot of people who are in that position are nevertheless trying to represent a lot of different kinds of people in their work, including people who uh, represent different demographics than their own. Um, and this is fine. Like sometimes, sometimes you got to work on your own, and sometimes you're just making like little tiny projects um, it, where it's really just you. Like not even like I'm not even going to say the whole like you and your group of friends thing because. Even as soon as you're stretching out to a group of friends, now you start to have responsibilities because you're making connections with other people. But if you're just working on your own, sometimes you're just gonna have to do stuff based on your reading, and that is okay for these little small-scale projects that we're talking about. Um, if you blow up, if you get a million dollars on Kickstarter, your responsibilities change, because now you have resources. Um, but if you don't have that million dollars on Kickstarter, and you're just making a little project, it's totally okay not to hire a sensitivity reader who would be like most of your paycheck for the month. Yeah, if, if you're doing a game that's like, hey, we're, we're going to do a game about NPR radio broadcasters. Yeah. Probably doesn't necessarily need a sensitivity console. Yeah. It's a perfectly fine one-person game. Right. Somebody who listens to a lot of NPR can probably get enough yeah. information to make this game. Right. But those of you listening on the podcast right now, do not turn it off and go off and make this game right now. We're not done. Um, so um, now I'm gonna, we're going to talk a little bit about the level where you're trying to do your own research, and that research is not based on talking to people, it's based on consuming media. Um, so that's you're reading articles, you're watching movies, um, all, all these different things. Um, 
So there's a, a few different uh, priorities and skills that you have when you're in this space where you don't have real people to guide you, which is, as we said, worse than having real people to guide you, but you'll end up there every now and then. Um, yeah, one, like we said, do own voices research. Um, let people, find out how people talk about themselves as opposed to how other people talk about them. Um, this is really important. Uh, the kinds of generalizations that you can make and the, um, the kind of language that people use about themselves is radically different from the kind of language and so on and so forth that they like other people to use for them. Uh, there are also differences in what you are, uh, shall we say, allowed to say um, based on whether you are part of an in-group or an out-group. These are also things you have to watch out for while you're in that group. Like, um, if, uh, if a Native American person talks about the tribe they're from, that's different from you talking about that other person and their tribe. That maybe you should maybe use nation instead of tribe. Um, if, uh, if multiracial people talk about being half this and half that when they're casually talking to each other, that's different from the way that you should talk about them. Like say they're, no, they're, uh, they're German and Indian, not half German and half Indian, as we multiracial people might say to each other. So those are important things to, to keep in mind. But also, uh, there, there's also the way people talk with each other within the in-group and the way people talk about themselves with the out group. Like, I might, like, within a, a group, I, you know, I might, you know, uh, I might call myself a bitch, I might call my friends bitches, but if somebody who is not one of my friends calls me a bitch, that's a very different thing. And I would not necessarily call myself a bitch when I'm presenting to a more professional audience or to a... Uh, an audience of kids, or you know, you kind of, yeah, or, huh? Or the internet. The internet's kind of weird. It depends. Okay, let me. I would not, I would do it on my blog, but I wouldn't necessarily do it on somebody else's blog where yeah. I'm being a guest. Yeah. That's a difference. Uh, and, and so, not only do you have to figure out how the people within that community are code switching so that this is what they're doing when they're talking to themselves. And this is how they're doing when they're talking with people who are not from their community. And those differences will manifest themselves a, a little differently, too. Mm -hmm. um, there's also, uh, so here's, here's one thing that Wikipedia research is really good for. Um, uh, training your bullshit sensor. Um, so if you, if you do a lot of research by reading things on the internet or reading books, um, one of the things that you will uh, start getting better at is noticing really tiny little clues that um, indicate to you that something that you're reading um, might not be trustworthy. Um, right. Yeah, yeah. These are, uh, it, it's often, because these live in the realm of intuition, it's often hard for me to pin things down. Um, but common examples include um, broad generalizations, especially about things which are considered to be quote-unquote common knowledge about culture. Um, one, of, one, of my favorite, uh, one of my favorite examples is um, uh, people generalize about Asian communities uh, being uh, collectivist a lot. Um, and I, I have lots of theories about why this actually, like, what this is actually about. 
Um, yeah. Uh, but um, a lot of generalizations that people like to make about other cultures um, come from uh, come from this like instinct to divide people into to categorize people and to um, to pin down differences about people so that you can stop worrying about like it's like a like an anti anxiety measure almost like if you can if you can pin labels to other people you feel like they're not scary anymore or like you understand the the threat that they pose to you or something like that as a yes I think the additional element of the anti-anxiety is also just a, hey, if I can lump everyone into five boxes, then I have now simplified it enough that I can easily keep it in my head and I don't have to worry about the details. Um, so now, cognitively, oh good, everything's in five boxes because my brain can't handle 13. Which, There is a cognitive element to it, I understand, but it, you have to be doing this literally at the level of, yeah, so I'm dividing continents, because then I can do subdivide regions within continents, so that I can subdivide, so I can, there's a large number of people and these are large groups, not, oh yeah, this is just everyone. Yeah, can I, can I tell a story from the other day, from like a, a Discord server that I'm in? Uh, so people started talking about religion, and um, people started complaining about Catholicism, which is a thing that happens a lot. Um, uh, yeah, so there's like there's this whole like disgruntled ex-Catholic writer thing that happens, uh, you know, flattering the kind of I think a lot of people are upset about the effects Catholicism has had on them. This is complicated because um, in the United States, for example, Catholicism is actually a persecuted minority. Growing up in New York City, I didn't realize that because there's so many Catholics. But in a lot of places in the United States, uh, Protestants really down on Catholics, and it can be uh, a vector for racism against uh, Latin Americans, for example. Um, and uh, so uh, a Catholic guy was also in this server, and uh, he lives in Canada, where anti-Catholic uh, sentiment is not quite so common, shall we say? It's different. <laughs> yeah. Um, Depends on which province. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> um, so he jumped in and he was, um, he started, uh, he started making generalizations but as people criticized this, that, or the other aspect of Protestantism. Um, he jumped in and started saying, well, hey, I mean, all religions have that. And sometimes that was, like, almost true. And then other times he was making generalizations about, like, uh, the relationships of authority to religion, or whether religions had scriptures, or whether religions had central authorities about who's right about something like that, um, and making all these really broad, sweeping, ridiculous statements about um, how, to all religion? how to define all religions, and really he was just comparing them to his own experience, being Catholic and seeing other religions through the lens of Catholicism, which is a problem the Catholic Church historically has. Um, in uh, any, any number of fascinating uh, ways. And so I, this happened like just before I was gonna go to bed and I was just like, no, I can't deal with this. Um, and so I stayed up like 
<laughs> um, just yelling at this one random dude who I've never met and never will meet about um, making a whole bunch of generalizations about religion based on like his own internal perspective. Um, and he eventually stopped talking, and that was satisfying. <laughs> um, so so you're yeah. saying you just need to win an argument on the internet, and yes. then it's fun. Yes, but also I should have considered going to sleep. But um, it would have been healthier. It probably. Um, but yeah, like um, the so the the thing that he was doing that I was able to to pick up on was um, making broad generalizations about all religions. Um, in a way that simplified things in a way that was convenient for him. Um, so if people start making generalizations and those generalizations are about like other people or about super sweeping, or and if those generalizations somehow make things easier for a certain demographic, there might be an agenda behind uh, why people are presenting information in that way. And that is a sign that you may wish to cross-check that source against the opinions of people who are not like from a certain group um, or internal perspectives from the group that's being talked about. Another thing that you, you should also kind of keep an eye out for uh, is, is things that uh, are dog whistles, for just lack of better terms. Oh, like they're, like uh, there are certain tropes and certain memes and certain... Uh, Red flags that like uh, to take uh, some transphobic uh, things uh, when you get to gender essentialism and stuff like that. Those are usually people who are transphobic, and so you start to recognize, oh, I've seen this pattern of words before. I've seen this pattern of phrasing before. Maybe this person is not the best source for information about the trans community. Maybe I shouldn't take that. In. Or but biological women don't make me throw you off this panel. <laughs> yeah. It would be very we'll easy. We'll do it. Yeah, <laughs> <Jump>. <laughs> 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 yeah. But yeah, I mean, it's, but phrases like that, or um, uh, all women have vaginas. No, not all, or all women bleed. No, I mean, even within the category of cis women, these things are not necessarily true. There are at least half of the women who are cis in the world have either gone through menopause, have not started their periods yet, or have something in between where they don't have a period that does not make them any less women. And so if you're defining womanhood that narrowly as women bleed every month, then you are, you are excluding the entire categories of cis women, not just trans women. Uh, oh, and a couple, a couple easy free ones. Um, anything that's Native American proverb on the internet is not a Native American proverb. Same, I'd say 90% of like Chinese proverbs. Yeah, too. any Chinese proverb, Buddha, Buddha, Lao Tzu, anything like that, not a Chinese proverb. Usually it turns out to be some English guy. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, those are free. Those are easy. Those are easy. Yeah. Um, oh, and uh, anytime someone finds a quote from a person of color telling you to ignore racism, like, is anybody, either, any of y'all, uh, are you, any of you familiar with the, there's an interview with Morgan Freeman where he says to stop talking about racism? Anybody ever seen that? It, it, was, it was really famous, it was going around, it was, um, there's a bit where um, some annoying dude is interviewing an increasingly frustrated Morgan Freeman um, about, like, how to deal with, uh, 
how to deal with like some kind of race issue. And he says, um, he says, stop talking about it. And then he goes on, and then he says, uh, you keep seeing me as a black man, and I keep seeing you as a white man, but we need to see each other as people first. Uh, but we need to see each other as people. Um, what he actually means, based on like the rest of uh, the rest of that conversation, I think, was that um, was not that race doesn't define anything about your personality or your life. That's ridiculous. Um, but that there were other considerations that had to do with like who you really are or like how you define yourself, which might run deeper than race. Um, and then when he was saying stop talking about it, that was a call to action rather than telling everybody to stop talking about race and pretend they're colorblind for the rest of their life. So, I don't know, maybe I'm misinterpreting more of Freeman, and maybe he'll, you know, come comment on the blog and tell me to stop talking about race, and I won't, but... Um, <laughs> Just get an audio version of that, because... I'll be super say. excited, yeah. That Morgan awesome. Freeman's like, stop talking about race. Yeah. <laughs> so... I would like to bring up some of the specific challenges I have had because I've run into a couple pitfalls. Um, I know I'm making this all about me, but what can I say about a random white dude? Um, <laughs> I, wasn't, I, I, mean, wasn't, I was only going to think it, I wasn't going to say it. All white men always make it about them, all the time. All the time. Yes. Well, I mean, let's be more precise. All cis white men. Oh, yeah. Fair. Cis hat white men. Cis white men. So I'm trying to research issues, particularly with regards to um, indigenous Canadian communities, uh, yeah. where yeah. populations are smaller and there's not a huge uh, gaming population available. There's more than this, you uh, it, There's not a huge gaming population because we're talking some of these total populations are like a thousand members. So no matter what, there's not a huge gaming population. There, there probably is, there's a bigger one that I know of, but it's not as it is. It is a lot easier for me to say, "Oh, I'm going. Uh, I am going to go and find a." Um, a black woman who I can hire as a cultural consultant because there's a lot more of those than I'm going to find uh, Anishinaabe uh, woman uh, who, with a gaming background who can help me on this. Uh, just, yes? Do they have to have a gaming background? I mean, if your questions are about culture and about what you want to present about that culture, does it matter if they know gaming mechanics or ideas? Uh, does this system perpetuate XYZ? Does it accurately reflect certain cultural worldviews and norms? It doesn't have to, but it's better. There's a, there's a, there's a cheat on this. This is this easy way to do this. Or Please. Easy. Easier way than probably what most people are doing. Um, so, uh, one one thing that I've been doing a lot as a cultural consultant lately is um, 
Oh yeah, by the way, hi, I'm Mendes, I'm a course cultural consultant sometimes. It's like a sensitivity reader, but I call it cultural consultant because I think that that sounds more like sectarian professional. Um, also because I, I think it... Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Doesn't mean sensitivity readers are bad. This is like this is like a personal like pretension of mine. Um, uh, I also the the one the practical effect that I think it uh, it may have is encouraging uh, encouraging creators to involve people earlier in the process because I think uh, sensitivity reading is often associated with the very end of a manuscript process because the term comes from like novel publishing. Um, so saying cultural consultant or uh, I heard someone say cultural developer recently and I thought that sounded badass also. Um, I think that that might encourage people to like get on this during the outline process when you only have to hire us for two hours instead of like ten. Um, uh, so um, one thing that I've been doing recently is tag teaming stuff. Uh, so I'll um, someone will come to me and they're like hey I need a, a cultural consultant from uh, such and such population. Uh, often it's like an indigenous population or something like that. Um, so I'll reach out using my network to find someone from that population who does not have any kind of a gaming background, and then we can tag team uh, process. So um, they so I'll offer whoever's hiring like a cut rate, um, so that they're they're paying both of us for the time, but it's less than I would otherwise charge. And then uh, they and I will work together to respond to the problem. So I'll bring in like gaming knowledge or my own like background doing cultural consulting and like saying comforting things to white people, which I'm, I'm really good at now. Um, it's a skill. Yeah, and then like and how many dozen times do you tell me that I'm not racist on the panel? Like that's what like a thousand, two thousand? Like on the panel? I mean, if you got like if you got cash right now, then you know. Uh, oh, good, good, good. <laughs> yeah. I know, like you, I know you probably only have cold bucks. Oh, okay. Plus. Yeah, yeah, that's um, fair. So, uh, so yeah, so um, pairing up two consultants uh, working together, it's like if they're both charging you full price, that's that's difficult. It's too bad. That's bad for you. I'm sorry. Um, but this is a really good way to pair, for example, um, maybe I'm doing uh, a certain period in, like, uh, Mexican history. And maybe the only expert I can find on that period uh, on short notice is not themselves Mexican. Um, but I'm going to work with them and then um, a person who is actually Mexican who can speak to like the modern day experience of Mexican people. And working together, those two people can provide the knowledge that I would, like I wish I could get from like that perfect, uh, like, you know, person from a Mexican background who also happens to be an expert in this random time period in their history. Um, so yeah, um, pairing up people with like technical knowledge and personal experience in various different situations can be like really helpful. Um, but with indigenous sources, there's also going to be like a lot of the time we're representing uh, peoples who have been like genocided mostly out of existence. Um, and uh, reaching out to those people is like not impossible because they're extinct or something, or like the whole population is elderly or something like that. Like there's some like single-digit number of people left who speak Belakula or something like that. If any, uh, I don't remember what the numbers are on that. Um, in those cases, sometimes you have to rely on colonialist white guy sources, and it's terrible. But 
Sometimes that's literally all we have. So one of the tactics that I've tried that I think is a fruitful path uh, is I have hired cultural consultants saying, hey, can you recommend two to three books that I need to read? Please, because you, you can point me at reliable sources that are not actually just uh, three white men in a trench coat. Yeah. <laughs> I love that one. <laughs> just three white men. They often do have literal trench coats. And for course. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah, that's, that's good. Yeah. That's better. Um, I read a bunch of articles on the internet which specifically like aimed at this problem. Like all the most common questions about like such and such a topic. Um, so yeah, y'all can go to my website, jamesmenzoes.com. There's a there's a link in the description. There will be thank you, future Jason. <laughs> also it's awesome. Just like generally. And I believe there's a Patreon. I think people can give you money, yes? Yes. Yes, yes you can give me money, and you can also give me money. Yeah. Not on the same site, on a different yeah, different sites. Excellent. So there will be links to places you can give these awesome people money for the education that they are giving you on this panel. Yes. Uh, so, uh, since we've got ooh, about 10, 15, 10 minutes, uh, 10 15 minutes left, uh, are there any particular questions from the audience that you would like Such to bring? Such a big audience. I know. Our huge audience of 500 people. They outnumber us. The, yeah, we're, we're, we're very afraid. More of them than us. Yeah, yeah, there's totally more of them than us. Let's hear some noise. Questions. Yes. So, I will give you the mic. Oh, okay. For audio recording purposes. Okay, yeah. thank you. Hi. So one of my questions is you mentioned how there are some cultures that are just gone. And the only sources we have for those cultures are the white men that wrote about them. Where is the line where it's okay to represent those cultures in your game and you're not taking from someone, even if they're all dead? Like, do you know what I mean? Like. How do you make that okay? Um, so, I would handle it by trying to find a sister culture or a nearby culture that you could find somebody from. So they might not be able to speak to the exact experience, but they will at least have similar knowledge um, that you can work with. Um, but at, at, at like nobody knows what the ancient Greeks thought either. Nobody knows precisely what the ancient Egyptians thought. And we have those sources that did survive. But at some point, you, you do have to allow for, yes, I'm trying to do this as respectfully as I can. And there is literally nobody I can talk to that has the exact knowledge. And so sometimes you just got to like, all right, how close is close enough? And that's kind of a personal decision. You kind of got to, what can, what, how close will you be able to get and still be able to sleep at night feeling that you've done your job? I, I yeah, I think that the sister culture idea is really, really important. Because if we're talking, if we're thinking about this in terms of harm, um, uh, 
drawing ethical lines is really difficult if you're trying to like come up with an absolute standard that's kind of like making a generalization about people. Um, I have found it much more useful to think about each individual case in terms of the harm that it stands to cause to vulnerable people. Um, so let's look at like a certain uh, extinct culture. Um, uh, you, you might have heard the term Anasazi before um, to refer to an extinct uh, people in the southwestern United States. Um, if we were to talk to um, uh, Pueblo people who live in that region now, um, even though they themselves are not the Anasazi who are extinct, they could tell us useful things about um, A, about how that uh, relates to their own culture. Because if people generalize about this extinct people from that region, there's going to be blowback to them because they live nearby. And then they can also tell us other useful things like, hey, Anasazi is actually an offensive exonym, and we call them ancient Pueblans now. So let's, let's just call it that. So yeah, stop calling things Anasazi, please. Ancient, ancient Pueblans. That's on Wikipedia. That's, yeah. Um, so yeah, that's, uh, think about um, who is nearby, um, who that could, who this could blow back on, right? That's like, uh, similarly, we say, like, if you're talking about, like, oh, this isn't real Japan, this is fantasy Japan, so it can't possibly be, no, people no. are going to, no. yeah, stop, yeah. yeah, humans are really good at making connections. Yeah, so, hopefully this turns into a question, so I'm working on a game where one of the concepts involves having an animal that is part of your organizational group and that animal influences the magic and the organization of your group. And there are a lot of cultures out there who have small gods. And one thing that I've worked very hard to do is not co-opt language that isn't mine. And so what I've tried to do is figure out with, okay, with the language I have available to me, how do I make up new terms and ideas that support what I want to do and don't just steal from people. Cause like, I'm not gonna use a totem animal. I'm not gonna use like a guardian spirit. That's not okay, that's not mine. Um, but I also have this like, this worry that I'm going to step over a line that I don't want to. I'm trying to keep it as fictional as I can so that I don't pull from a culture that's not mine. And are there ways to, and maybe it's the same as before, find someone who's got a similar idea and say, hey, is this okay with you? Do you feel like I pulled from your culture in a way that is not appropriate? And please tell me, I'll give you money to tell me, and then I fix it. Yeah? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. I mean, there, there's, there's going, no, nobody can make a perfect thing. Yeah. So once you accept that and do your best, and like I said at the beginning, if you do make a mistake and somebody says, hey, this thing you did was harmful, apologize, thank them for letting you know, and make sure you change it in the future versions of it. Yeah. You know, that's, that's really all you can, that's the best you can do is try your hardest, if you fuck up, accept it, and do better. So one 
danger point that I have run into that I'm trying to avoid is the uh, if I speak to one person from X culture, I have now gotten the tacit approval of everyone from that culture because clearly all people from ethnic group X think exactly the same thing. It's, it's just one high point, right? Um, yeah. Um, so, so that's that's difficult because you can like the only way to actually solve the problem is to increase your sample size. Um, that that said, um, I have generally found that um, people who are people who are willing to work as cultural consultants, people who, who will on purpose like help you out with these things, um, tend to be pretty good about highlighting places where people have differences. Um, very often, they, we are aware of differences of opinion within our own uh, community. Like, for example, well, like, uh, uh, I'm Filipino, and uh, some Filipinos identify as Hispanic. I identify as Hispanic, as well as Asian and Pacific Islander, and you know as many boxes as I can check. Um, and then there are other Filipinos who will be deeply uh, offended and upset if you refer to them as Hispanic. Um, so this is... Uh, as, so I am aware of this like conflict and this like difference in like in my community, and I am I am totally happy to tell you about that. And most Filipinos like have some idea that this is kind of a thing. Um, the people who are going to like make like really broad generalizations or like say off the cuff kind of intense things that are easy to um, misinterpret. Um, the, the people who are most likely to do that are people who don't actually want to talk to you. So, right. so yeah. if you go and ask someone to like be your unpaid cultural consultant in a really rude way, or um, you know, like, or you're like really kind of random about it, or you don't actually know them very well, or otherwise you don't give them an opportunity to like elegantly extricate themselves from like the obligation to help you out. Um, those people are much more likely to like tell you crazy shit. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, and um, amusingly, I'm actually so I am an Anglophone Canadian from an ethnic minority of Francophones that are not Quebecers. <laughs> Which means I am a linguistic minority in a province of linguistic minorities where they're the local majority, but I'm also of a different ethnic group than the cultural majority of the current region I'm in. So you can't call a Quebecer a French Canadian. They will chew your face off. Because they're not Canadian. They're Quebecer. But if they're Ontario, then they're a French Canadian. Here's England. Uh, Here's Ireland. Uh, Here's the bloody sea. Yeah, <laughs> like so. Yeah, yes. I am very well aware of a, some of these lines from my perspective, and yeah. So yeah, there is cultural consultants should hide. Yeah, there's gonna, there's arguments around this. Just say that people disagree about this, and you're good. Yeah, well, most, most, anybody who's like willing to work as a cultural consultant on purpose probably knows this stuff. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I would get into a fight in a bar if I said XYZ. Yeah. Yeah. In this culture. Yeah. Yeah. 
Just so you know, no, I can't actually, just say avoid this. all of you this. You can't get away with saying just this. Just avoid all of this topic. Just yeah. trust me. Because yeah. yeah. if any cultural consultant says avoid X, just run away from X. Yeah. That's a, that's a pretty, yeah, good rule of thumb. Yeah. Um, I guess the one, more, one place where it might be like kind of difficult is when there are, there are um, uh, like conflict between two groups about a certain concept. Um, like for example, a lot of um, a lot of multiracial Asian people use the Hawaiian term "haka" um, to refer to themselves as people who are part Asian. Um, that's not how that word is generally used in Hawaii, and especially not how it's used by Native Hawaiians. So um, a lot of Asians who didn't know that this was at stake, like we thought that this was like successfully like reclaimed, and we were all going to use it that way. Um, like an article came out a little while ago that said like, yeah, that's a little weird and it's not really how Native Hawaiians use that term. So like, we've been phasing it out and you know, we, we're okay. But a few years ago, that would have been a point of conflict. Um, when I might, I might have been able to, I might have given you bad advice because there was a point of intersection, so. Yeah. So I'm Ashkenazi Jewish. Me too. Yes, yeah. And let's say I wanted to do cultural consulting for anti-Semitism. Mm -hmm. What advice would you give to say, like, how do I do that? How do I get started? What do I, how do I learn what I'm looking for if I want to be, want to do that? Um, I, I like, I like doing like, uh, I, I consider myself like a, a connoisseur of, of, of events. Um, whenever I, like, I have this morbid, uh, have it now, where like anytime I hear about like, I hear a new racial slur, I'm like, oh, that's good, I get to collect that, add that to my creepy collection of things I know now, curses knowledge, yeah. Um, so I think that um, uh, developing that developing that sense by like reaching back into your own experiences with anti-Semitism and like all kinds of awful traumatic things that have happened to you, right, like you're gonna have to reach in there. Um, that's, that's actually good practice because it can help you figure out if you really want to be a cultural consultant. Yeah. Um, and uh, so there's that. And then, um, yeah, uh, looking at other, like developing like a canon of own voices, sources which you trust. Um, like there are, I have, uh, especially with, with Jewish things, I have like very particular like tastes in what kind of Jewish sources I like to draw on. Um, one of my personal favorites as a, a New York Jew has been uh, Will Eisner comics. Um, so I, I find that the way that Will Eisner talks about Judaism and like the complexity of Jewish identity in close uh, proximity to many other identities um, in New York and like many other ethnicities and so forth, um, I, I find that really, really resonant um, in a way that um, a lot of like articles talking directly about uh, Jewish experience in America, I have like, th those have a like lower hit rate for me. I feel like they very often talk about um, a, side, a side of Judaism that I, I personally don't feel like I can speak to as well. Um, so, um, yeah, get a, get a taste. Like figure out like what your palate is and what kind of sources you like. Because um, those are the ones that you're going to be able to recommend best to others. Um, that's the stuff where you're going to be able to tell someone not only what to read, but how to use it. 
um, stuff that like really like resonates with like your personal tastes. Um, yeah, so those are those are great things. Um, yeah, collect all the all the all the antiseptism you find. Um, specifically for you, Mendez, I work as a community manager in my day job for a mobile video game. Um, is that list of slurs that you keep the kind of thing that I could hire you to acquire oh, yeah. so that I can exclude that language from the availability of what my players can say to each other? Oh, yeah, oh, yeah. absolutely. Okay, yeah. cool. Because yeah. I've already got the big ones. But there's so much out there, and this, yeah. it's like playing whack-a-mole, and I'm like... Boomer is not a slur. <laughs> no, it yeah. is not. And like, it's just very... replace all the slurs, just like, auto-replace that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, it's very important to me to just not allow that as an option, as a word you can use. Yeah. And, and sometimes you'll find things that are commonly used mm-hmm. have a very racist background. Mm-hmm. Uh, so many phrases. Yeah, so many phrases. Peanut so gallery. Yeah. Uh, uh, fire hose. Yeah. yeah. Melting pot. Yeah. Uh, there's a couple others that uh, I discovered recently. Uh-huh. That's small potatoes. Yep. Yeah. It's mocking the Irish potato family. Yep. Yeah. Oh. It's just beyond the pale. Yeah. Yep. That's where the savages are. Yeah, no, I'm not okay. Yeah, yeah don't, 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 don't say Normalize. It. Don't say, don't say savage. Yep. Not even uh, pitfalls. Uh, yeah. Anyway, on that note, <laughs> yeah, I think it's time to end the panel. But before we do, where can people find you? Misha. Oh, right. Uh, you can find me uh, on Twitter at BG Gameworks or uh, BlackGirlGameworks.com is my website. Uh, I also uh, curate uh, More Seats at the Table, which is a bi-weekly uh, email newsletter uh, highlighting games from people from gender, gender, the marginalized genders. Yeah, uh, so I'm at JamesMendezVotes.com and that links to all my various social medias, but um, I'm at uh, Lula Vampiro on Twitter. Again, the, the link will be uh, down there. Uh, my Get website is like... And put it in. Yeah. And I have Patreon. It's patreon.com slash mndz. Um, and all of these things link to each other. So, yeah. Excellent. Well, thank, thank you very much. Thank you. And thank you to our excellent audience of Black Girls. So many of you. <laughs> <laughs>